Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech and language pathologist, and woo, I made it. I'm having a show this week. <laughs> it's kind of been a crazy week. I usually have shows at the beginning of the week, and now here it is late Thursday afternoon, but I decided this is it. I'm having it. I'm not missing the podcast anymore. So we're on for today. I have a great question from a speech language pathologist, too, that I, I want to give you a whack at solving. But before that, let me talk about our announcements. The fall conference schedule is finally out, finally published at teachmetotalk.com, and check that out there. I'm going to try to do it from memory. Let me see if I can remember all the places we're going to be this fall so I can let you know. First of all, we're going to be uh, on Thursday, September 18th in Evansville, Indiana. And we've sent mailers. We have blanketed that whole region with mailers because I, I'm hoping that because we also had this course approved in Illinois, that we'll get some new friends from Southern Illinois that maybe don't want to drive to Chicago for a conference and are sick of having to travel with all that, um, the, just the tremendous effort it takes to get into a big city like Chicago. So we're going to have again um, that. Well, it's already approved. So. If you're listening, you're in southern Indiana, you're a speech-language pathologist, a developmental therapist, an OT, and you want to come join us in Evansville that day, that will be worth your while. That course is also in the process of being approved for credit with Kentucky's First Steps program. It was credited last year in December when I taught this course in Louisville, so I know it'll have no problem sailing through. So you'll be able to uh, get credit for that if you work in Kentucky like I do. Um, and want to get credit through uh, the First Steps program there. We also uh, certainly welcome all of our friends from Indiana. You can use this course as part of your credentialing process. So that is on Thursday, September 18th. And let me say one more thing. If you've gotten a mailer from us, the location of that event has changed. It was supposed to be at one hotel, and apparently the group that owns several hotels there in Evansville, actually I think they own all of the major hotels there, called today and they had a major crunch with the date that they already were contractually obligated to do for us, yet they still said we can't be at the first location that we had already signed up for. So they moved it to the Hilton Garden Inn, which is fine, but I just wanted to let you know that there's been a change. It's just right around the corner. Uh, we were having to be in their next property, but Hilton Garden Inn will be fine. So join us there, and again, you can register for that at teachmeashaw.com. Also, other dates. Boy, it's going to be a fun, exciting, busy, busy, busy fall. On Friday, September 26th, we're going to be in New Orleans, and that hotel, the Sheraton in Metairie, and you can also register for that at com. I love going to Louisiana. If you've listened to this show for a long time, you know that I just get so excited every time I can go back there. And we have people that come every single time we're there, and I love it. I feel like I've made friends there, and the food is just to die for in Louisiana. If you've never been, you should really go just for that reason. Um, and then, again, this is a great location if you are coming from somewhere else in the country and are trying to pick a location that's near an airport, this is it. You can see the airport from, oh, 
Johnny's shaking his head no. I'm thinking about that other yeah, hotel. Yeah. They have a port shuttle, and it is very close. Uh, but it would be a great location for you to fly in for. And then it's on Friday, you can stay and do Bourbon Street and all those fun New Orleans things before you go back on Saturday. So I wanted to uh, mention that. So that's the one-day course in New Orleans, Friday, September 26th. Then on Friday, October 3rd, I'll be back in northern Indiana in Fort Wayne. And I, I had such a good time last time I went to Fort Wayne, so I'm really, really excited about going back. That's Holiday Inn there by the call. Great hotel, great location. If you're in northern Indiana, come see me there. Um, middle of the month, Friday, October 17th. I'm getting my mouth mixed up. Friday, October 17th. We'll be back in Texas, so San Marcos there at the Embassy Suites, and that's a big conference center, so that's going to be a lot of fun. If you like outlet shopping, that's the location that you should go to. They have a huge outlet mall right there in San Marcos, and again, if you're in San Antonio, Austin, any of that central Texas area, we would love to see you that day, Friday, October 17th. And then I think oh, one more set of dates that's completely finalized. We are going back to Chicago. Now, we have been, last weekend we were in Chicago on July 31st and August 1st, and it was fantastic. Had probably one of the most fun groups I've ever, ever spoken to. We just had a great, great time. We'll be back there next weekend or week on uh, Thursday the 14th and Friday, August 15th, but that's already sold out. That's been sold out for weeks. If you missed it, I'm sorry, but guess what? We've added one more location, one more set of dates. Not location, same location, but new set of dates. Thursday and Friday, November 20th and 21st. So that's already open for registration. I know a lot of people in Chicago, I bet I got 25 phone calls last week saying, you know, people trying to register at the last minute. I love that our conferences sell out and that we hardly ever have seats last minute and certainly not in Chicago. So if you miss that, if you've said about that, register now so that you can get your seat. And, again, I always love going there. It's a really, really fun time. We're looking at some other places, too, potentially for um, some other events this fall if we can squeeze it in. So keep checking teachmetotalk.com for a location near you. All right. Let me move on and say I'm having a big weekend sale. Um, at teachmetotalk.com on any DVD book, which are my therapy manuals, or set, a DVD or a therapy manual purchased together, or in course that's on DVD, if you will enter the coupon code SAVE15, you'll get 15% off any order. And again, that's S-A-V-E and then the numbers 15. So I wanted to mention um, that as well. That coupon code will not last forever. So if you are listening and it is anywhere near August 2014, that coupon code will save you some bucks. Let me say, too, it is not applicable to live courses. Our live events are so much cheaper than other national speakers' live events. And we have just done everything to hold the cost down. So that coupon is not going to be applicable. Uh, for the conference, but it is for everything else. So it's our courses that are on DVD, so check that out at teachmetotalk.com. Um, third announcement, I've been working on a new little series for Therapy Tip of the Week for Ideas with Blocks. And blocks are familiar because almost every home, every daycare, every preschool, even families who don't have very many resources usually have some set of blocks. And so 
that should be a toy that you have several different ideas and several little play routines that you can introduce to your little friends that you're seeing or families. And certainly if you are a mom and you are short on ideas for what to do with blocks, this current Therapy Tip of the Week series is for you. I've done two already. The third one in the series will be released tomorrow. That's Friday, August 8th. So if you haven't seen the first two, go back and watch those before tomorrow, before this weekend, so you're caught up. The ideas kind of build on each other, so it is nice to watch them in a series, and I wanted to be sure to let you know about that. All right, last announcement, and this one's kind of funny. You know, we've had um, our website redone at teachmetotalk.com, and, you know, we have a big fight. Like every time we have a new graphic design team or a new – any new little technical person help us. When they get in the back end of Teach Me to Talk and they've seen all the hundreds of posts and all of the podcasts and all of our therapy tips of the week and all of the stuff that we have somehow managed to do since 2008, they always say, wow, this is a big fight. So we are trying to get everything that we can automated and completely caught up and up to speed. And we had some technical glitches at the you know, in May, if you were listening to my meltdowns that I would have on the podcast about, there are all these question marks that are appearing in the post. Okay. We've had several things like that happen since we've had the site redone in May. Um, today, I went into the podcast section because, we, again, we're trying to get that more automated so the newest one automatically posts and I don't have to do all of uh, the manual entry. And we have a new little plug-in for that. If you're not a website, I don't have to, again, type out every single word of every single post every single week. I guess would just automatically load in there. So we had a new person working with us that we're really excited about, and they put the plug-in in, plug in, in. And any podcast from Blog Talk Radio that had the words Teach Me Too in the title loaded on our website. So let me just give you some ideas for what this might have been. <laughs> there were shows on there that, again, if you would have clicked on the link, you would have known that it was not me, if you are a long-time listener, or if you've even just listened to one or two shows, you would know that I'm not talking about this. But there were shows like Teach Me to Prophesy, Teach Me to Pray, Teach Me to Love a Man Who Has Intimacy Issues, Teach me how to knit a blanket. I mean, just everything. Oh, teach me how to file a lawsuit. You know, anything you can imagine was in there. And so I was a little bit mortified at the beginning, but the, the more I read, the funnier and funnier it got. And it may not be translating very well to you, just how hysterical that was to me. But let me just say, if you've been on teachmetotalk.com today looking through podcasts and you're thinking that sounds a little whacked out. I don't know why in the world she would do a show about that. It probably wasn't me. So just wanted to point that out. Hopefully that's all resolved. See that? But just in case there's anything that doesn't have to do with speech language development in toddlers, please know that that's a mistake and hopefully we will get that out there, out of there. All right. So let's move on to today's topic. Here's the question that I got from a listener, a reader, uh, who's a speech pathologist. And again, I've, she's taken some of my courses 
you know, I've conversed with her several times via email, and I liked this question because I get a version of this question a lot. So I thought, you know, this would be great for today's show. And this is what she says. She says, I read all of your materials, and I'm very familiar with your approach to therapy. I have a question with one child. He is two years old, and he understands everything, but he is not speaking. And she said he's not a practic, and nothing major is going on. I've tried all of your techniques, especially verbal routines. And then she says, does it come to a point when it's personality-based that the child feels like he doesn't need to talk or he's babied by the parents and doesn't want to talk? So what do you think about that? If I were sitting with you right now, wherever you are, if you are on your treadmill and exercising, if I were standing right there or if I were sitting in your room that you're cleaning or if I were sitting right there in the passenger seat of your car as you're driving listening to this, what do you think about that? What would you say to that? Have you had kids that you felt like that that happened with, that you can't really put your finger on why they're not talking, they're just not talking? Let's just kind of look through or talk about how I think about these kids and go through that process. And really what we need to do here is rule everything else out first before we would get to something like, oh, he's just baby too much, or he doesn't have to talk. Those are things that can happen, but let's just kind of take a step back from that for a minute and think about how we make decisions about children and how we form our clinical opinions. And if you've listened to the show more than once or twice, you know that I'm probably going to talk about that darn treatment hierarchy again (laughs) because it works, because that's how I think about every single kid I encounter. It doesn't matter if they come to me with that I'm the 14th opinion or if I'm the first person to see them. It doesn't matter if mom has written me an encyclopedia for the case history form or if I've gotten very little information at all, just bare bones. It really doesn't matter because I know that before I started applying a really standard kind of assessed treatment hierarchy with how I thought about kids that I missed kids. I missed what was really going on with kids. And then sometimes you get to week four or month four into treatment when you realize, oh, that's what's going on. And your earlier opinions about the child weren't quite as refined or quite as on target because you missed something, because you didn't consider something, because you didn't think about something. So this treatment hierarchy that I talk about, and again, that would be whether you were coming to see me in my office or whether we were having a cup of, you know, I don't drink coffee, but if we were just, you know, meeting and having having just a little lunch or a snack or whether you're in a conference of mine, I talk about this the same way and I think about this the same way for every single kid every single time because, again, this is what keeps me on track for treatment and it makes me know that I have left no stone uncovered and I have addressed every single thing. So the therapist that wrote this said nothing major is going on. So hopefully she's already done this. She's already walked through this process. But let me just tell you, when you get sloppy, in your assessment and in your therapy or when you get 
kind of complacent in we'll figure it out as we go, it's really easy to miss something with a kid. And it's really easy to dismiss even a mild delay or a mild difference in maybe two or three little issues, the hierarchy that we're going to talk about, can make a kid end up looking like there's not very much going on on the surface, but then you put all of those things together, and then that's the reason the kid's not talking. It's because that foundation is still not laid. So let's run through this hierarchy. And, again, these are the same things that I would say to the speech pathologist if we were talking in person, if she had called the show. Before we address the things she talked about at the end, is he baby? Does he just not want to talk? Da, 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 da. I would always start with, well, let's rule everything else out. So what would that be? That would be, first, we're going to look at this kid's interaction skills. Is he consistently engaged with other people? Does he want to be with you when you're there? If you are having to do, exert lots of extra effort to engage a kid, if a kid appears bored, delighted, or avoids you, guys, he's not typically developing. There's something else going on. And that interaction piece, again, may not be so severe that you may say, well, of course he's not on the autism spectrum. You know, he's got okay eye contact. He sort of has joint attention if I have something that he really, really likes. Occasionally he might participate in one or two little turns with me, but it has to be something he loves. He sort of will use kind of a gesture when he wants to tell mom something. Can you see how just dismissing that social piece might make you completely, um, again, just lose sight of that that might be where you need to put a lot of your effort with therapy. And, again, the social piece is what so many therapists, especially therapists who have worked with older children and who are coming back into early intervention, I find it a lot with this that group of SLPs. When birth to three is not what you've known and loved and lived and breathed your whole professional career and you're just coming back to it, or if your experiences have only been with typically developing children or really just had the articulation piece or maybe just a little mild language delay, sometimes your background will almost not preclude, but you just don't pay enough attention to the social stuff because it hasn't been as important as it is in this early developmental period. So even little minor issues with social skills, if they're not addressed, you can totally struggle with a kid for a long time. And again, I don't know that that's going on with this child. She didn't say anything about that. She seems to say nothing major is going on, but that's something I want to point out. And let me tell you why I feel so strongly about this, because that's what I struggled with at the beginning of my career. I wouldn't pay enough attention to social stuff. I went straight to language. I went straight to talking without looking at all of these foundational pieces that absolutely have to be in place first. So that's the first thing I do. That's the first thing I look at. Every single kid, any kid who who crosses the threshold in my office or if I've somehow been convinced to do a home visit, any kid that I'm going to see, if the second I get there, I am I Start with social skills, no matter what I've heard about the kid, no matter what the diagnosis indicates, anything, because I know that's the foundational piece. 
What's the next piece I would say? And again, you know it if you've been listening to the show or if you've read things that I've written or if you've gone to a conference or should look at social skills and many look at receptive language. Let me just say, even a mild comprehension problem in a two-year-old may be enough to really prevent him from talking. And sometimes really bright two-year-olds that have cognitive strengths like they can match and they can operate, you know, the the DVD player better than mom or they can, you know, they can, mom will think she's got the iPad locked down and that kid figures out how to get in it. Or let's say they're really proficient with even things like, you know, they can get the keys off the counter and go unlock the front door before mom and dad even know what's happened. There are children that are two that have those zany, brainy, little cognitive splinter skills, little strengths that still struggle to understand and process language. And again, if you're looking at that kid in the daily environment, you may not, you may miss that he or she doesn't really process language like you would expect them to. And so that happens with kids that are independent. They do so much on their own, and they figure out a way to kind of get through the day, but unless you are really pinning down language, you don't know that that, that, that comprehension piece even it's a problem. So even if you were on a, say you were doing a standardized test with a kid, especially if everything has to be by parental report, if, if everything mom says is so different from what you're saying, if she says things like, well, I know he knows how to do that. Yeah, he can do that. Yeah. Um, but unless you were seeing some of these things and then you know that you know that you know that there's not a comprehension problem, you don't really need to dismiss it. I used to really take parents' advice for that. And, again, this is at the beginning of my career, you know, 20 years ago. And if they would say, oh, he understands everything, I really kind of would think that. I would think, well, mom knows him better than me, and that certainly is true. But if I can't get a kid to follow one direction for me in the, in the course of an hour, even if we're doing something really, really fun, then I know, I suspect that there's an underlying comprehension or process problem that we need to pay more attention to. So that's certainly something I would redirect this speech with all this attention to. And again, it could be that there isn't anything going on with this comprehension, but if there is, if you address that, oh my goodness, I've seen so many good jumps in expressive skills, in speech language skills, because we pay enough attention to the receptive piece. We help a child learn to understand, help them learn how to process, and the words start to come. So that's something that I would say, too. That next piece is the expressive language piece. And, again, that begins with not talking, but can he imitate? Can he copy actions? Can he copy body movements? Can he copy facial expressions and little actions with his mouth? Can he start to repeat some little play sounds or exclamatory words? She doesn't say, she, she talks about verbal routines, but, Really, if you're looking at where verbal routines fall on that continuum, it's way up at level six. If you have looked at uh, my building verbal imitation and toddler's chart, and if you haven't gotten that chart, it really can change how you think about expressive language skills. Take a look at that book. It's at teachmetotalk.com. And, and if you're a speech pathologist, you can always get that full course, that six-hour course on DVD. Uh, but that's way up there. So she doesn't really mention how he imitates actions with objects or how he would do some, imitate some body movements, or that's another thing that I would be really, really curious about. Now, not 
talking and she doesn't say things like, well, he's trying to imitate some animal sounds and occasionally he'll pop out. She's not saying anything about those things. So I'm going to assume that he's not doing those things. So that's where I would start. And that kind of, well, I really, I would even back up further than that and look at gestures. Can he do some signs? She hasn't talked about getting introducing any signs with him. Where I would be, especially if the social piece and the receptive piece are fine. Even if there are little hints that all is not well in those areas, and I would know I've got to double down on those foundational pieces before I'm going to rule anything else out. Now, she said he's not a practice, so that would mean that, well, for those of you who are not speech pathologists, apraxia is a motor speech neurological disorder, and it means that the child can't plan to imitate or pl- imitate, but plan and execute movement with his mouth. So for those kinds of kids, they may be able to stick their tongue out like to lick an ice cream cone, but they can't stick it out on command. And again, you've got to be careful if it's that they don't really understand what you're asking them to do. So if there's a receptive language problem and you're saying stick out your tongue like this, like they still may not know how to do it because it's, it's cognitively based, not so much motor-based that would affect speech. So you've got to be a little bit careful teasing that piece out too. But if you can't do things like, say he leans over to mom to give mom a kiss, but if you were sitting there saying, do this, make her lips like mine, he wouldn't be able to do it. And again, that's just kind of a gross uh, explanation of a practice. Certainly there are more things than that. But she said that he's not a practice. So I would assume, based on that, that he's able to copy staff movements and stuff. And when you have a kid that's there, you know you're going to move them up just a little bit and go to the vocal play, like panting, like pretending to cry, like snoring, like um, fake coughing, fake sneezing, fake yawning, any, any little sound, like a car sound, anything, again, that you may not even be able to spell, but just those little sounds that kids, like to make, that's where you move them up because if he can imitate those little mouth movements, he should be able, the next little thing would be to put some sound with that. Other things to try are squealing or screaming to see if he can do that voluntarily. And again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out how to get that to happen. You just really play and you hoop and you holler and you have a good time and you run and you bounce and you jump and you get really, really loud and crazy. And you're going to see what that kid's able to do vocally. If you're not seeing any of that, that's where you need to start. If he can do that and he's still not at words, first of all, I would be really surprised because the natural progression is when kids have enough experience being verbal and vocal like that, they move on to words. Uh, So those are things that I would suggest for her. Let's kind of in this last few minutes tease out what she said she thinks might be going on. She said she's tried verbal routine. She's not there, so we've already said she needs to back up. And let's just say, okay, let's, uh, what it is that he doesn't feel the need to communicate? What would you suggest for a family like that? I always say, well, let's give them a reason to communicate. <laughs> if we need to modify the environment a little bit so that there are reasons, and again, I've, I've met lots of families like this. There are families that, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, let's say it's a sandwich baby, and do you know what I mean by that? I mean that there's a younger sibling and an older sibling, you know, for a two-year-old, 
And so mom has just done everything she can to make everybody's life really, really easy so the kids can get all their snacks, reach all their toys, do anything they want to do without adult assistance all day long. And again, a lot of our little guys learn to be so independent because they kind of have to and because it's so easy for them to just do their own thing and not have to communicate. So for that mom, if that's what's going on with this family, and certainly it sort of might be because she looked at that a little bit. She says, what if he's babied by his parents? You help mom kind of see that. You help her take a step back. You say, you can't treat him the same way at two years old as you treated him at two days old. We've got to give him reasons to need us and reasons to include us. So in, at home, again, we would look at helping mom rearrange some things. In therapy, everything really would be, um, even though it's child-driven, you're still going to do a lot of presenting choices and having, having toys put away. If, you're, if you use your own toys, you would have a lot of them in bags or in containers. If you're just playing with his toys in his home, you would convince mom to, let's put everything up. Let's put everything where he can't really get it. There's a reason to indicate to us that he wants something. Now, she doesn't say anything about this child's gestures. And let me just say, if a child at two is not using gestures to communicate, that is something major going on. If he's not pointing, if he's not figuring out a way to make his needs known, even without words, don't dismiss that, guys. That's not, there's nothing major going on. That's a bona fide expressive language disorder. When we don't, it could be delay. Let's just say that. It could be delay. But if he's doing all these other things and hasn't figured out how to gesture, how to compensate for that lack of words, there's some uncovered teeth. There's something missing there. He should have been able to compensate with some gestures and stuff. And when we don't see gestures emerging by as early as 12 months, that's a big deal. And, again, that's a lot more going on than just late talking, a lot more than just that little simple expressive language piece. So for that thing, again, I would talk a lot about that. I would talk a lot about rearranging the environment so he has to communicate, I would do, I would still fall back on those social games because we should be making such good friends with our little clients that they want us to do those little people games and chase games and throw them up in the air games and row, row your boat and ring around roses and all those things. Girls like that, all typically developing two-year-olds like that. Most delayed two-year-olds like that or two-year-olds with delays. They do, they do because they should be craving that social interaction piece. If there's not, you've got to ratchet it up a notch so that you are fun enough so that he wants to be with you. And then if he's still avoiding or eh, take it or leave it, you know that you've got to find some better motivators. You've got to find some better things for him to do with you so that he overcomes that internal whatever that's keeping him from talking. Let me direct you to another philosophy that I talk about all the time in conferences and I certainly talk about with parents and it's the can't versus won't. And again, a lot of times parents and even therapists will say, well, this kid could talk if he wanted to. This kid would talk if there was, you know, if, if whatever was going right in his world. I don't really look at kids that way. I think that's really kind of blaming a real true developmental issue on something as simplistic as behavior. And I don't do that. 
And I call this can't versus won't. And I think we need to help parents shift from it's not that he won't talk, kind of what it sounds like this therapist might be leaning toward in her email. There's still some reason that he can't talk. And, again, that's why we're speech pathologists. That's why we get to figure this out. That's why this job is so fine because we get to be detectives and really uncover what else is going on. So take a look at can't versus won't and be sure that you are getting yourself in line with thinking, oh, it's not that this kid won't talk. It's not that he's, you know, laying there and planning. I'm not going to say one word today or, you know, whatever. It, it, I, I just don't think it's that. I talk a little bit about selective mutism in here, that children have to have normal skills in at least one setting. She doesn't mention that at all. This doll just doesn't say, and I think we talked about that on last week's show, where to really get that diagnosis, he has to be talking in at least one setting, and, and uh, we don't think that's happening based on her email. So more than likely it is that, there's still some reason she hasn't uncovered. It is rare, it is rare that you would get down to kind of this level. And if you have had lots of kids like this on your caseload, let me just say you're missing something. Because it really shouldn't be that he's just choosing not to talk. I have only had in, in my over 20-year career one little guy that I sort of felt like maybe was in this situation, and I really didn't get to see him long enough to really tease out what was going on. Mom and Dad didn't really hang in there with therapy. They were a great family. They had their older daughter had a severe illness that they discovered that kind of derailed our plans, and we just decided not to do speech anymore. But he was the only kid that I have ever, ever, ever felt like that I couldn't really discover what was going on with him. Now, I treated him earlier in my career. If I saw that same little guy today, I would probably have some different ideas and some better ideas and better better techniques and better things to try. And that's what happens with experience. But, again, I tell you the story just to say it shouldn't happen a lot. If you're finding this, even one kid a year that you're thinking this about, I still think that's too much just based on the hundreds, thousands, probably now by thousands of children that I've come in contact with, not only in my own private practice, but in the group programs that I've done and certainly in all the consulting that I've gotten to do since 2008. So get your thinking cap on. Look at that hierarchy when that happens. Be sure that you are uncovering every single possibility and giving it your full attention and really addressing all of these foundational pieces and then see what happens. The other thing that I don't that I didn't get to ask her is how long has she seen this child? Because sometimes it really does take these little shy kids more than a couple of weeks to warm up. And that's what happened with my little guy. I really didn't get to see him long enough to establish a good enough relationship with him that because he was on the shyer side that I felt like I really, really knew him. He I also saw him with siblings and if I knew then what I know now, I would have certainly changed that. I would have said to mom, okay, we've done it for weeks with sister here. Let's, let me see him by myself for a little bit. Or let's just see him, you know, and, I, and mom, and again, this is way back in the probably early 2000s, late 90s. I, mom didn't ever really fully participate in this. And that's another thing that I certainly would have changed now. And, if, and so my other advice to the speech, whatever you've done in the past, 
manipulate that variable. So if mom has been there, try to get her to stand back a little bit. If she's not been present, try to get her in. If you've seen him in the morning, try to see him in the afternoon. You know, go through that little decision-making process. I think that was last week's show. Uh, so to be in the course of a week, I can't remember, but go back and try some of those things. See what factors you can change. See what you can manipulate and see if you can get there. The other thing that I, was, that I started out to say that I didn't quite make it to was give it some time because, again, it may take more than four visits, six visits, eight visits for you to really get in there and figure out exactly what's going on. Ch- certainly do everything else we talked about. Change some of the environmental things. Get mom and dad to really buy into. We don't need to just give him everything right away. Certainly teach them the three to five rule, but you need to be getting a sign or a word or a gesture or something before he gets in the course of his little day. And if it's truly that, if it's truly that his parents just have not given him a reason to communicate, that's easy. That's easy to fix. You can certainly get on that with some uh, really good parent education. All right, so take a look at can't versus won't. I've posted the article um, on the little show summary. I love to hear your feedback. So if you have any comments that you want to set or any any other little question that you might have related to this topic, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can leave me a comment right there below the show post at teachmetotalk.com, and I will take a whirl with that the next time that uh, we do the show. Thanks so much for hanging in there with me today, and I will be back next week. Have a great one. Bye-bye.